In a moment, um, we're going to have the Bible read to us um, by Pete. Uh, so we're going to do that in a moment. But before that, I just wanted to give you a little heads up as to what we are doing here at Christchurch at the moment, a little talk intro because there's a lot of people who are guests. And when we have baptisms, we just keep going with what we're, we're speaking about in the Bible. So you're sort of dipping in and you're very welcome to do that. Here's a phrase, uh, it should come up on the screen, a phrase that I love. Um, a feature, not a bug. Do you know that phrase? Oh, still some people taking seats, so do you come in and have a seat? A feature, not a bug. Do you know what that means? So it means that like something looks like a problem in a system, but it's actually designed to be there. Um, a it's a feature, not a bug. Now, here is something that looks like a bug in the Christian system, in the way God's arranged the world, okay? Most Christians, the ones especially who are really, really committed to Jesus and love him and want to serve him, most of those you never get to hear about. You may not know those people, the people who are the real heroes of the Christian faith. If you become part of a church, you'll meet them. But the heroes of the Christian faith are often quietly and bravely and determinedly, but not very publicly, loving their neighbor, often as their neighbor doesn't love them back. You know, they are not Instagramming every time they are kind and generous and talk to someone about Jesus. And I want to say that is not a mistake. God is not in heaven thinking, oh, I just wish I'd made some famous people Christians. And then everyone would know. No, it's a feature, not a bug, because promoting yourself, putting yourself forward, trying to get attention for yourself, that is against what Christians can legitimately do. In Christianity, taught by Jesus, heroic people are humble. And that's because we believe the message is that we can't get it right by ourselves and we need Jesus' help. That's our foundational belief. So we don't promote ourselves. So you don't know who all the amazing Christians are. That's a feature, not a bug. You're joining us today as we've been walking through a, a book of history from the Bible called Acts. It's the story of the first Christians, the people who knew Jesus himself and their life and adventures. And the last few weeks, we've been following the story of a man called Paul, who was commissioned by God to take the message about Jesus beyond Jewish cultures, where there was some sort of shared view of God, into totally godless cultures, where everybody had their own beliefs already, and Paul headed in there to talk about Jesus. And it's been, you know, a bit like mixing electricity and water. Uh, we've seen it's been an explosive thing to take the message about Jesus there. There have been riots, there have been angry millionaires, there have been repenting witches. I mean, there's been all sorts. It's a great story. And something we have noticed is that while the book Acts is telling the story of some individuals and what they did, the baton, the message, the responsibility is being passed on. The story of what God is actually doing in the world is less and less up to do with Peter and Paul and other heroes but this wider group of people from all over the world, we sometimes hear their names, but if we do, that's all we hear. Because the energy is moving away from heroic individuals 
to groups of Christians that form everywhere that take part in the mission. They have nothing to do with the original group. There are no famous Christians anymore in Acts. And that's because the history of Christianity is not a story of amazing individuals. Have you found, you might have found, that people are promoted as these amazing Christian heroes and we should all be glad that this famous person is a Christian. They nearly always turn out, don't they, to be a fraud or a letdown. But that's not our story. Our story is a movement of local gatherings of normal Christians that stick up for the truth, that love each other, that rarely make the newspapers, but are quietly filled with remarkable people. And that's a feature, not a bug. If you accept someone else has saved you because you couldn't save yourself, you will move towards humility and elevating other people. Today we've heard Johnny and Caleb, two young men, professing their own faith, but also saying they want to be part of this thing called the church. In this day and age, you might wonder, why do two young men want to do that? All we see on the news about the church is our arguments and our hypocrisies. But we're going to see today in our reading that the church is a body of people loved by Jesus, bought to belong to him by his own blood. The church is a group of loved children of God by their Father. The church is filled with God the Holy Spirit. And in this moment we're about to hear read about in the story of the book of Acts, Paul, the hero, knows he is going to die. And so he gives a speech to some church leaders who are not even named, passing the baton to them about what they're going to have to do. It marks a move from heroes who do miracles, to bodies of people stand up for the truth, led by people they have good reason to trust. It seems much more pedestrian and less exciting, but it actually fits with the humble, gentle Jesus, who is the one we are offering to the world. So, that's the introduction. As you join us today, that's where we are in the story. And as Pete reads, what we are doing is listening to Paul tell church leaders what they should be like and what they should do. And if you feel that's totally irrelevant to you, that's fine. I'd ask you to politely sit and listen anyway. Just have a wonder about why would two young men want to join what's being described here? So Pete's going to come and read us now and explain about Bibles and page numbers and everything else. morning. Um, if you would like a church Bible, please raise your hand and the steward will bring one to you. I'm um, going to read um, Acts 20 verses 17 to 38. You'll find this in, in uh, a bookmark in your Bible, and it's on page 1117, 1117. Okay. I'll give you a minute to uh, find it. Okay. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. 
When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but to taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, who can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, you must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you so much, Pete. Dan, Ed, you need some party. Um, this is a moment, isn't it, of great sadness. Uh, Pete read it excellently for us in the right tone. Paul has led these people to trust Jesus. He has taught them and loved them. He's lived alongside them for three years. And they are grieved when he says, You'll never see me again. Paul, before he goes, is able to say with integrity, though, you can use me as an example. And this is the first thing we see today, what to be, to lead. Paul points to the way that he has been with him, and he says three things. He says, first, I had trials and tears and the humiliation of rejection. Second, he says, 
I haven't hesitated to tell you anything that you need to know. And he says both publicly and privately, I haven't changed the message as to whether I've been saying it in private or public, and to Jews, his own people, and Greeks, not his people. They've all heard the same message, that they are in need of forgiveness from God and need to turn back to him through Jesus. There's no favoritism for people who seem good or who are his type of people. It's the same for everybody. He says with integrity, I can say that that's true. Thirdly, he's heading into trouble, but his own aims for his life are nothing to him. Verse 24 is incredibly powerful. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. He just wants to get the job done of testifying to God's grace and reach his death still doing that. And the rest of Acts is really his story about how he gets that message right to the heart of the Roman Empire. So he says, as long as I can tell people that God is kind and we can turn to him, I'm just happy. My life doesn't mean anything to me as long as I can do that. Now, why is Paul telling them this story about himself and why is Luke, the writer of Acts, recording it for us? Here is the reason. You probably don't know who this man is. His name is Hugh Pill. You might have heard about him talked about in the news. He's on the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee. <laughs> Everyone's like, <sighs> okay, bear with me. They're the people who raise interest rates. That might be relevant to you if you've got a mortgage. Um, and he basically, uh, an interviewer was saying to him, how do you feel about raising interest rates because it's making everybody poorer? And he said, people in Britain just need to accept that they will be poorer. Uh, and that is a problem, Hugh Pill telling all of that to us, because Hugh Pill is a millionaire. It's hard to take, isn't it, from someone who's not doing it themselves. There's no need to listen to someone who isn't putting it into practice. Now, that's one of the reasons that we as Christians are so enthusiastic about Jesus. We look at Jesus and think he's the only person who always really practiced what he preached. Many Christians have not done that. Paul's going to talk about them in a minute. But he's saying here, people that lead should have integrity. And he is able to encourage them to listen to him as a listener, because he has lived it out himself. And he's saying these three marks, um, which he shows, they should show us people we should listen to. My clicker's not having any of it. It doesn't do it more when you screw up your face, I don't know. Come on. So, do you know a Christian who has stayed faithful to Jesus, even through being rejected and hurt by people because they were a Christian? Do you know someone who has borne that with kindness, continuing to offer the gospel to the people who hurt them? Listen to that person. They're not impressive. They're actually usually the opposite of impressive. They're humbled and sad because people have rejected them. But God loves his enemies. While we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. So a leader who bears rejection and keeps loving, they're the real deal. So yes, you are excused, I think, from taking seriously someone who is bitter or angry or who complains about rejection. That type of person should not be leading. And if you are someone who rants on about the way people have hurt you and carries tiny offenses forever, you're not qualified to lead 
in God's church because that is not what Jesus is like. Second thing Paul says about telling the truth. Maybe you know a Christian who doesn't back off telling the truth on platforms or in private, even when it isn't popular. Now, it's interesting. Those are the exact people we don't want to listen to because they tell us the truth, even when that is not popular with us. But those are the people you should listen to, Paul says. And yes, you are excused from taking leadership from people who say what's best in a given moment to please the crowd. And if you change what you believe in order to feel more accepted, you're not qualified to lead in God's church. Thirdly, do you know a Christian who just wants to please and honour Jesus above all of their own ambitions? Can you see that in their life, not just in the things that they say? Or can you see someone around you actually choosing to lose things they could have had because Jesus is so important? Listen to that person. You're excused from listening to the person who tells you to do one thing, but is selfish and self-interested to them, themselves. You don't have to listen to that person. If, and if you are fitting the commands of Jesus into your ambitions and what you really want for your own life, you're not qualified to lead in God's church. Now, you might feel like I've excused everyone from listening to anyone because everybody is a bit like these things. The first thing I want to say about that is it's a pattern of life we look for in leaders, not always getting it right perfectly. But secondly, I want to say this is why we are commending Jesus. He is the one with perfect integrity. He always does what he says. He takes the hard path for the sake of others every time. No one, therefore, has an excuse for ignoring Jesus. I can unconditionally, happily commend him to you he is the shepherd. He is the good person. You will find no flaw or hypocrisy in him. There are no excuses there to sit here and ignore him. He has walked the walk. You must listen to him. There are other people who need to earn your respect. But Jesus does not need to do that. He is already deserving. If you're visiting today, welcome. I guess I want to be clear with you. In case you're worried, we're not running a cult here. Uh, we're not asking this church to listen to anybody who leads without integrity. No one needs to give anything to people whose life does not match what they are calling others to. No one needs to submit to people who are angry and bitter. No one needs to put up with the message being changed to please people or leaders who are more interested in their own ambitions than serving God. If your leaders are like that, if the leaders were like that here, I hope the church would not listen to us. And if you're in this church, aside, feel free to use this measure against those of us who lead. We will do it imperfectly, but it is your job as the church to challenge us to do it. There are many, many people carrying hurt from the hypocrisy of leaders. And that is the fault of the leader who did not follow Paul's example. But it is also the fault of the person who saw the warning signs and didn't take them on board. That's why Paul's warning. He's saying, choose carefully who you listen to. Choose carefully to who you appoint, who you respect. You can be taken in by the person with a platform 
the person who sounds good or looks good, you can be taken in by that. Very foolish. You should only follow people who are worth following. And remember Christianity, humility, putting yourself lower is the feature, not the bad. Those are the people you should follow. And as the baton is passed to the church, those are the people who have to lead in the church. This is the type, the character. This is what you need to be to lead. Secondly, what to do to lead. Oh, now we're both doing it. Now, I just want to drop in here that when I was at the Eurovision semi-final this week, I had to find a way to get this into my talk. Uh, we were at the semi-final that Ireland were singing and they didn't qualify. Sorry, Ireland, if you're Irish. The song was anthemic and he was wearing a very impressive gold jumpsuit. But when it came to actually singing his song, he seemed a bit nervous, a bit scared, like he didn't really believe that we are one. He's more like we are none. And more of that type of feeling. And they didn't get through. So sorry, Ireland. Now, people say 60% of communication is nonverbal. Who someone is will speak to you many times more than what they say. And there is a rule for what leaders say here. Uh, they must proclaim the whole will of God. And Paul uses himself as an example of what leaders should do. We must teach. But our responsibility is to be who God is calling us to be. You can't project something you're not, as our Irish singer friend found. So the first responsibility given to leaders is this. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. In the end, you will pass on what you are, and so what you are is more imp most important. I wonder, have you ever worked somewhere that was a very unhappy workplace? Or lived in a very unhappy house? Have you, I would guess it would be because there was a boss who perhaps kept every policy, but was extremely unhappy and unpleasant in themselves, and that sort of came out to everybody. Or you were in a house where there was plenty of money, a home, but there were angry, stressed parents. Who you are is what you will pass on. So keep watch on yourself, Paul says to these leaders. If you're, are you leading something in life and you're generally snappish and angry? Well, keep a watch on that. Are you gradually becoming less clear on important doctrines? Keep a watch on that. Are you building up secret sinful habits? Keep a watch on yourself. We have no business keeping a watch on other people's lives without watching on ourselves. The second thing they've got to do to lead is to keep a watch on the flock. Churches are cared for people who should be watched over by faithful shepherds. Paul uses this powerful language of being innocent of their blood and tells them to be good shepherds instead. He's echoing a story from elsewhere in the Bible, from the book of Ezekiel, where the leaders used people for themselves and didn't tell them the truth. And God says, it's the false leaders I will hold responsible for that, not the people who listen to them. So watch yourself and watch these precious people and care for them. And if you read about shepherd pictures in the Bible, there's lots of famous ones. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherds are people who love 
gently and honestly. So church leaders are not CEOs. We are not sergeant majors. Neither do they just do what the sheep would prefer. And that's not how shepherding works as far as I you know, debate with the sheep where they would like to be today. No, they don't do that either. Shepherding care is what you should experience in a church. And if someone is appointed in the leader in the church, it should be someone the church trusts to put them first, to care for them. You can only pass on what you are. And the message we are telling the world is about Jesus, a good shepherd who laid down his life for us, the sheep. We want you to know that we have a problem with God and Jesus in his love died to take that all away from us, his sheep, and you are loved like that. We are not going to get that across to you unless that's the way that we lead. Now, you only have to open a newspaper to know that hasn't always been true of people in leadership. It's tragic and wrong, but utterly predictable. Paul has mentioned it here. There are people who are not shepherds, but wolves. There's a message I've just told you that we're utterly loved by God. Our enmity is put right totally freely through asking Jesus, who's taken all the punishment we deserve. It's so good. Why would anyone want to distort that amazing truth? But Paul says people are going to. It might be that people get the implication of that truth. Amazing and brilliant as it is that God loves us and will accept us because of Jesus, there's an implication that can be painful. As I discuss the gospel with people, what that message means is we need help. And we can only be helped by God. And people don't like that. They want to say, no, I'm already a good person. I don't need Jesus to save me. And so over time, they won't find it hard to find someone who waters it all down to say, oh, yes, Jesus wants you to be a good person. Well done for being a good person already. Paul says, no, the message is you must turn to God. You must trust Jesus. But he was right to predict there'd be history in history of the church. People who said it's a bit unpopular to say that, so let's not say it. And he says they're wolves. Or the implication might be, of the message I've just told you, that Jesus is in charge. That means he calls you to holiness when you belong to him. But Paul says, you won't find it hard to find someone saying, oh yes, this holiness that has always been asked for in the history of the church, the church has always believed this to be the way you're holy. You don't need to do it. It isn't necessary for you. Wolves, Paul says. And both of those come from the same place, wanting to be liked. The wolf is hungry for something themselves, people's approval. Not a shepherd laying down their life with a sheep. That's connected to the other reason Paul says people become wolves in verse 30. In order to draw away disciples after them. There are leaders, even from within this very church Paul is talking to in Ephesus, who see leadership as a way of gaining control. People do love having control over other people. And religious leadership is an easy way to get that. It starts with wanting to be liked. That quickly becomes wanting to control people and get them to do what you say. 
You see, the true message is liberating. The true message says, listen, you can be totally right with God through Jesus. You don't need me. You and Jesus can sort that out with God freely through Jesus' work. Without my help. But people just want to change it a little bit. To draw disciples after themselves. You have to confess your sin to me. You have to come to my church. Oh, you're part of the way in by trusting Jesus, but you'll really be on the inside if you do what I tell you. Drawing disciples after themselves. I was reading this novel recently. I'm going to give up on this, Tom. I'm just going to trust you to move things along. I'm reading this novel recently. It's by a guy called John Boyne. He's an Irish writer, and he is a very, very... What's the opposite of being a big fan? Whatever the opposite of that is, that is how he feels about the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland. But there's a scene in this book, at the start of the book, where um, he's actually talking about, it's a, a semi-autobiographical, about someone in his family who uh, got pregnant outside of marriage, a woman who got pregnant outside of marriage. No one in the village he was in made any attempt to find out who the father of the baby was, but the woman was brought to the front of the church by the priest, shamed in front of everybody, and told she couldn't live in the village anymore by the religious leader of the community. Now listen, if that happens, I can't really blame him for not being a fan of the church. It's awful. But Paul did say it would happen. People who want religious power for themselves. I mean, it must be a very powerful position, mustn't it, to stand in the middle of a community and say, that person can't be here anymore. But it's an abuse of the power of Christian leadership. And maybe you think, oh, well, it's a bit you know, horrible to use a specific example. It is part of our job, I think, described here, to say about certain things they're not true. To say we won't platform that belief and we don't accept it. Some people do believe this, but it's not right. That's part of keeping watch. Final thing the leaders are to do. They are to give more than they receive in order that the weak can be helped. I think that is amazing that it's included. Verse 35, Paul says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than, you, than receive. So, if you are ever observing a church environment where someone is much wealthier than the people they are supposedly shepherding, that is a big, big red flag. Because the belief that Jesus taught us is that it's better to give than receive. The model Paul gives is that one of the qualifications to be a leader is to be happy to have less so that people who need help can have it. The picture there is of a TV program called The Righteous Gemstones. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's about some people running a church as a sort of racket to make money. And it's, you know, horrible to watch. But part of me wants to say to the people in the auditorium, this is a red flag that the people leading you are so much richer than you. It's here that they should give their stuff away. So if you're leading anything in our church and you see any of this in your own life, you need to repent and turn away from it. 
If you like ordering people about without having a vibrant spiritual life yourself, you need to turn away from that. If you change your beliefs because they're not popular, you need to turn away from that. Perhaps most commonly in our culture, if you're in it for yourself, not for others, not, not money in our circles usually, I don't think many people in our circles are getting rich by leading churches, but there's a strong longing to be liked and respected, to want to be fulfilled by leading. I think we need to repent of that. Leadership is about giving things up so others who need help can get it. We are not here to be liked. And we are definitely not here to exercise control. And if you're not a leader, to really come back to what we're talking about today, Johnny and Caleb joining the church. I want to be clear, if you're not leading, you're a part of a church, no one, certainly no one here, is asking you to put up with immoral behavior from leaders because they're leaders. No one here is saying, you know, switch off your brain, switch off your morality, put up with self-righteous, hypocritical people who change what they say to be popular and make money off people they're supposed to be helping. Be quiet about that because they're the leaders. That is not what we are about here. Do not be quiet about that. Do not accept it. And other leaders of the church, we should be keeping watch on each other for that. And if you're in a church like this one where the members of the party make decisions, pipe up if you see it happening. But a community that knows the good shepherd, who the good shepherd Jesus, who gives his life for the sheep, that will be a community where anyone with power watches themselves. That will be a community where anybody who leads will care for you, knowing you really belong to Jesus. That will be a community where anybody with power fights for truth. That will be a community where anyone who leads will give stuff up to look after other people who need it. I hope hearing that, that's the type of community you can get on board with. Leaders will always be flawed. We will always need you to correct us. But Jesus, the head of the church, has no flaws at all. And he is slowly forming us into a community like him. And I think that's why Johnny and Caleb want to publicly belong to that family. Third and last thing we see, what you put in, you get out. Now, I was trying to think of illustrations of this, but they all turned a bit sort of biological and disgusting. So I'll leave that to your imagination. What you put in when you get out, you discover that when, if you're at the stage of life with nappies. You're like, oh, yes, there it is. Um, what you get in, you get out. Paul says to uh, these leaders, interestingly, in verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of God's grace is that Jesus humbled himself because he loved us. He was God in himself but he gave himself up for us kindly, compassionately, joyfully, giving himself up so we could be right with God. Paul said it. He bought the church with his own blood. That's grace. It means undeserved kindness. And Jesus still looks on Christians who know him with joy. He cares for them. He knows the worst about you already, and he brings you into his family and pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. That is the word of grace. It is a word of kindness to you 
And that is what will build you up. As we think about helping Johnny and Caleb and the rest of us go on in our Christian lives, it would be easy to think that what you need from me now is to say, okay, now you've got baptised, make sure you do this. Be better at this. You know, you've stood here in front of everybody and said you're a Christian. You'd better live up to that. That's the word of, I don't know, condemnation, not the word of grace, is it? That actually is one of the things that puts people off baptism. There are people who come to church who are Christians who don't get baptized because they think, oh, I won't be able to live up to it. But it's a word of grace. We know that. You're invited to still participate with Jesus in his death because of his grace. And that is the thing that will build you up. What you put in will be what you get out. If you want to grow in this self-giving humility that comes, like Jesus, what you need all the time is the word of his grace. If I stood here today and told you all how you should be better, I think you'd all become self-righteous and proud, moralistic, bossy, telling other people what to do. The word of condemnation will not build you up, but the word of his grace, knowing we are loved and accepted by Jesus, if we live in that, that is what will come out of us, which as you can see is the leadership that Paul is describing. We will think it is better to give than receive, because that's the way we've been treated. We will watch ourselves first in humility because we believe we need God's kindness. We will tell the truth about Jesus to people because he loves us. We want people to know the truth about him. It is the word of his grace that will build us up. As we baptise Johnny and Caleb, this ordinance, the focus, Johnny and Caleb, will be on you for a moment. We'll be looking at you, celebrating your journey to faith but it is the same baptistry same type of water the same promises that we use for everyone who's a Christian we've no smoke machine we have no song about Johnny no uh, great prayer about Caleb we, that's not what we're doing because the path that you have chosen following Jesus is one of humility our heroes are unheard of our leaders give away more than they get. And it is the word of his grace, his kindness, means that between us, there is no fight for who is best. It is the word of grace that will build us towards being like him. Because of grace, this character that Paul has described of humility, of service, of loving the truth, of giving away more than you get, that character, when you know Jesus, is a feature. It's not a bug.